Welcome to another episode of From the Mailbag, and my name is Patrick Inhofer. And I'm Robbie Carmen. And I'm Dan Moran. Uh, and in this uh, mailbag, we're going to talk about uh, the idea of our colorists under threat. Um, in the world we live in now, it is pretty much content is king. You know, it used to be you do one $300,000 commercial every six months. Now people want to do one ad every week. They don't want to spend as much. They want to do it quicker. And the thing I always think about every day is, are people just going to say one day that, you know what, the grade that we did in the edit is good enough. We don't need that pesky colorist that's going to charge us per hour. Um, what do you guys think? Like, you think it's going to happen in five years there will be no more colorists? Oh, man. This is, this is something at this year's <laughs> NAB that I, I told you guys that I was presented with quite a bit. You know, I was, I was at the Adobe booth giving a presentation on this thing called Project Candy, which is all about, like, capturing light and, like, transferring to post. I was showing these new editorial tools. And I had several of our friends that will go unnamed come up to me and go, dude, what the hell are you doing? Right? Like basically like accusing me of, uh, uh, you know, kind of forwarding this idea that anybody can do color. And I got to say, I maybe I take a different approach from you guys about this. And I know I de- definitely take a different approach from some of our friends about this. Um, and, and that is... No, I don't think colorists are under threat. Do I think that they're under threat on the low end of side of things? You know, the the crappy PSA, the you know, the ultra low budget project? Absolutely. But that's been that's been in the tea leaves for years, right? And that's happened for years that people are like, oh, I'll just run a legalizer on it and it will be fine. Don't worry about it. So to this this notion of the uh, the idea that, you know, just because people have the tools means that they know how to use them in my mind is just is just is anathema i just think that uh the people that produce good high quality content have a sort of uh uh, talent iq they know the limitations of people they know where to go to now is that always true no but you know dan if you're grading i don't know a Rihanna video, right? You know, something crazy like that. You know that the entire team on that video is not saying to themselves, oh, the editor can just do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they recognize the importance of the talent and the skill set that you provide. Not the buttons, not the system, but you, Dan, your vision, your eyes, what you bring to the table. Does that mean, though, that the garage band who's like, dude, come on, like, we'll buy you a couple beers and, like, you'll grade our video. Does that mean that they won't go to their buddy to grade their video who's using new tools in Final Cut 10 or Premiere Pro? Oh, I can't really answer that question. The answer might be yes, it might be no. But at least in the people that understand the craft, I don't think colorists are under threat. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's actually really good timing. Uh, A job I did today was, uh, it was mid-level. So it was basically for, like, a flooring company. And the guy said the strangest thing I've never heard before. He uh, basically said, oh, we normally grade with our editor. I said, the best thing I like is uh, we don't have the urge to change the audio because we can't. We don't have the urge to, should we just slip that shot a little bit? Should we just change this? I basically only had the conform media. We were in a different building, so we had no access to his drives. And he said, the best thing is that uh, we're not in this glass room in the corner of the office where everyone's looking at it. We're in a room that's just about color on a massive TV where we just point at stuff and you fix it. So we go, oh, do that. 
do this, do this. And they loved the fact that they could just focus on color for it's about the it's hours. about the experience. It's about the experience, mm. right? He didn't mention the the coffee, you know, anything like that. It was purely when we're with you, we do color. When we grade with our editor, he's kind of like, you know, rendering out the project from the other guys and he's changing this and the audio has been mixed. And it's like almost like if you are grading and editing, you almost need to have this separate phase where you have to be super hardcore and say no to everything that's not color related. That was actually at our NAB thing, um, the, the focus on color day. During my last session, that was one of my points is if you want to get faster color correction and you're an editor and you're doing it in an NLE, don't take, you know, if they want an audio change, take a note. If they want an editorial change, oh, take yeah, a note. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, take a note, move on, come back to it. When, In other words, do one thing at a time. And don't multitask. When you're color correcting, the way to get fast is to focus on color and turn it all, everything else gets turned off, you know. Um, now, back to the question of our colors under threat. From my perspective, you know, it's a, it's a two-way street. Some of them are, Right. In other words, it's like, it's like I, yeah, I was yeah. an online guy for many years. I was a finisher. I saw myself as a finisher. What did that mean? It means that uh, people would bring jobs that they had already edited, but they needed graphics. They needed to, to prep it for delivery to broadcast networks. They needed all the split outs and all the different renders and tape outputs and all of that stuff. And I quickly saw that job as something that was going away. And I had a lot of peers, yeah. a lot of friends who themselves were also online finishing editors, tape-based guys. And you know what? The guys who didn't transition are no longer in the business. The job went away. The yeah. ones who saw coming found something about that job that they could glom onto, that they could then turn and basically renew their career. I mean, Pam jokes that, you know, I've been, I'm in post-production, but I've had like three different careers in post-production. And, and that's what you have to do. You have to constantly redefine yourself. And if you're a mid-level colorist at a post house, whose really only skill set is the fact that you're working on a really expensive piece of gear that regular people can't afford, guess what? Eventually your boss is going to decide that they can't carry that lease anymore and if Brilliant you're advice. if you yeah. don't find a way to be relevant, you'll be out of a job. Well, that's that's funny that you say that because you know we've 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 talked in previous episodes about you know the state of affairs with Resolve and adding in you know a mil million different tools and I and I kind of lamented at that time yep. that you know hey man you know this is kind of this is kind of BS we're getting away from color correction and adding all this other stuff but I think that you're absolutely right I think that the the post production industry has always been about finding opportunities right yep. Yep. and you know we had Andrea Clayback this year who came to our focus on color day and she put this really well you know she said that she turns down a lot of films because she's not the right fit and, and initially i took that to mean that you know she didn't want to work with the person or you know something like or something like that but i <laughs> yeah. think that that's true that we're seeing enough diversification in what we do to understand what's a good fit and what's a, not a good fit in other words you know it, you might get a project where it's uh, a ton of archival footage right and so there might be a revenue stream and you might have the skill set to do something like the upconverts and the standard conversions and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that you can add. Maybe you come from like, you know, like, uh, um, Dan, like you do from like a more compositing background with like, you know, flame and smoke and stuff. 
maybe you know you take on more projects that you're like oh we're gonna have to do a lot of green screen work and we're gonna have to do a lot of you know different background plates mm, and that yeah. kind of stuff and so i think there is something that, that's universal about what you said pat that it's always about adapting in post-production and it's always about uh you know being more and i think that um at a certain level that's always going to be true but at the same time the flip side of that same coin is that i'm always amazed about how the true high-end craft colorist that you know that exists out there no matter what will always still get clients and i think that that speaks volumes about our craft in the sense that and we've said this in various ways over various episodes that it's just about familiarity feel and relationship right you might find some colorists out there that you know that no, nothing. What, what's aces? Uh, what do you? What, what's yep. um? What's a window? Like you yep. know what I'm saying? But they just have that eye, and I think that that's okay too. Those people with their eye and their talent that they have for seeing the way that they see shots, they don't need to change. They don't need to diversify. There's always going to be market for those people as well. Yeah, and I think part of this question also goes to I think there's. The pie is growing, right? The post-production pie is growing. There is more content being produced today than at ever any point ever, yeah, in, the, in human history, right? Absolutely. Right. And this stuff is being done. It's video, right? That's what's being produced. And that means that there's tons of opportunity for people who are willing to work for not a lot of money uh, to serve those clients who would otherwise have never created any of this content. And one of the fears is, is that those people who are willing to serve this ever growing out on the margins, you know, this kind of low end, I hate to say it, low end. I mean, it's as viable as storytelling as anything else, right? But they don't have any cash because they're doing this with off the shelf stuff. So they're looking for talent who can serve at that level. And a lot of professionals feel threatened by them. Totally right. And some professionals should feel threatened and you need to take that as an opportunity to find out what differentiates yourself from the type of person who will serve those people. And we face that in a lot of ways. And Dan, you talked about in a previous episode about this, like, are you a DaVinci Resolve colorist? And nowadays, like we used to be so prideful about that fact and be like, yeah, I'm using Resolve, the number one piece of software out there. <laughs> and and now you're like, yeah, yeah but we're, we're, we're going to be moving to a base light soon. Like, don't worry. You know, like, like, like don't. And, and to me, that's just a, it's a, it's a crappy situation uh, to be in. I think, I think that, um, you know, you're right, Pat, that we've, we've come down to this, this area now where people are sort of like, you know, we we're just, we're marginalized, but at the same time that marginalization is only, it's, it's a, it's a marketing mar marginalization. It's a, it's, it's a fact that people have said, or companies have said, Hey, everybody can be a colorist when we know doing it professionally, as you pointed out is a load different than not doing it professionally. And I think it's up to folks like us, our members and out there, to really try to help to explain to people. We actually got a question that we're not going to be able to answer uh, tonight in this episode. But we got a question from a member that we'll address in a future Mailbag episode about how, how do we help explain to a producer that color correction is necessary. And, you know, and I think uh, that that is yeah. kind of hitting on the point that we're talking about here professionals can tell exact tell somebody exactly 
why perf- uh, color correction is necessary. And you know what? And that's how you build, you grow your client base. I mean, Dan was talking about a client he just worked with who always did color in-house. And then they see the experience of what it's like to work with the color. I just have that same experience with uh, a local group here in Orlando who never use an outside colorist. Their budgets are as almost as close to zero as you can get. And we've been communicating as to how we can work me into their budgets. And the truth is they can because I'm not as expensive as they think I am because they have so much flow. So they can, if they can throw me a bunch of jobs all at once, they can get results at relatively little cost because I can get through it really quickly and do really detailed work. And they're amazed at the amount of work we can get done in the amount of time we do it. So professionals, I think, do themselves a disservice by also thinking that it requires a million-dollar budget to bring on a colorist. That I am learning firsthand that that is absolutely not true. Absolutely, and we've all done this, right? I mean, from Dan, who works at a high-end facility, to myself, that runs an independent shop, to you know, to Pat, where you're doing you know a lot of um, you know jobs in the same way that I am. Um, we modulate, you know, and I think that this idea that like. You know, where we used to be at the fact that color correction should be $1,000 an hour, I, I think we bring on that world. And I think that we have a lot of people that are still trying to fight that. But at the same time, it's about business model. Like, can you do professional color work at $300 an hour, $400? Absolutely. Yep, you can. Can, you do it, can you do it at $150 an hour? Well, that depends. You can do it at $150 an hour if you're doing the volume of it. Sure, why not, you know? And so I think the one thing that's also, you know, this idea of colorist under threat is that an adaptation that you've spoken about, Pat, is that I think that colorists, people who want to do color, have this little bit of a encapsulated black box idea of what it means to be a colorist. And it's not just the creative. It's not just the technical it also extends to the business side of yeah. things and being able to, you know, work with budgets and work with people. And you, what you just said was so excellent. Like the ability to like educate clients and get in there and be like, look, let me not, you're not telling them anything about color correction. No. You're saying, you're saying to them, look, let me help you with your budgets so that you have the ability to do this work with me and see that improvement and that i mean that's something that we all do now and that and it's so valuable and that's where i think that you know colorists professional colorists are not under threat because they're people like us and people that we know and are people like our members who really understand uh all the ways that a colorist works yeah i completely agree with that and uh so i'm really looking forward to our next conversation robbie when we when we talk about that member question because yeah, I, got, we, I think we all have a lot to say on that as well. But yeah. uh, I think that'll wrap up this edition of From the Mailbag. Uh, my name is Patrick Inhofer. I'm Robbie Carmen. I'm Dan Moran, and thanks for listening. <laughs>